Let's pray. I want to open up God's word with us. Thank you for what a rich time you gave us in worship and communion this morning, Lord Jesus. That whenever we we set our hearts upon you and we call upon you, you come and you make yourself real to us through your word, through your truth, and you remind us that we're forgiven. You assure us that we're we're adopted into your family and that we have your love and your care guiding us, strengthening us, comforting us for the rest of our lives and forever. And so we thank you again for your death on the cross and thank you for your word. Lord, would you meet us now as we open up the scriptures? I pray for wisdom upon me. I pray for just give me the right heart. I need your help this morning, Lord. I can't do anything you want me to do apart from your work in me, so help me. Give us attentive hearts, Lord. Um, Do a mighty work, I pray, in each one of us who's here this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, uh, we'd like you to just invite you to raise your hand so we can bring one to you that you can use this morning. We are passionately committed to studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And so um, if you could just raise your hand. I forgot one announcement, though. I'm seeing Chris White here. Hi, Chris. Okay, Chris is here. Chris is, we, we help plant Garden City Church. Chris is part of Garden City Church, part of the Morocco team. And so tomorrow night, the Morocco team is having a fundraising dinner, spaghetti feed at Abundant Life Church with the addresses on the tickets. If you would like to go, there's a few more spots left. You guys are filling up rapidly. Over 100 people coming. Very exciting. And what they especially need is those of you who are going to be going, if you could help cook the pasta ahead of time, right? And Chris has it here this morning, okay? So those of you, could, could we just like see a raise, if you could do that so that you can then take it already cooked tomorrow since they, don't, they can't get it all worked out ahead of time before the, the dinner. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well, Rick? Oh, Rick's on for that. Anybody else who could? Okay, Sue, thank you so much. Okay, Jerry, great. Orion, okay. Ramazinas. Okay, how many do you need, Chris? Ten. Okay, more? Okay, Wilson's, Keens, all right. More? All right, we're getting close. Okay, thank you very much, all of you. And so anyway, there we go. So you can talk to Chris afterwards about the details. And again, that's tomorrow night. If you would like to go, this is fundraising, money that we can take to Morocco, which helps buy building supplies there for the homes that we're building. So thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jerry, for heading up the Morocco team. All right. Okay, so we've got the Bibles passed out. Matthew 5 is on page 809 in the Bibles we passed out. Now let me just set the stage for this passage we're going to be studying this morning by by having us go back to the very beginning of, of the history of the church, first couple hundred years of church history. During that time, like A.D. 30 to about 300, there was terrible persecution of the church from the world, Uh, Believers were frequently imprisoned. Uh, Believers were often killed. I mean, you've heard about the Colosseum, all those terrible things that happened. Uh, It was a terrible time, but during that time, God had much grace upon the church. Believers were strong. Believers were shining with the love of Jesus Christ. And the blood of the martyrs was the, like, watered the seed of the church, and the church grew rapidly. 313 A.D., things dramatically changed. Under Constantine, Christianity became the state religion, which meant that the persecution stopped and most people became Christians in name, 
right? Because that was what everybody was. Okay, everybody, everybody who lived in Rome was a Christian, and so most everybody, and so people became Christian in name only. And one of the results of that is that the church was became very lukewarm. It became virtually uh, indistinguishable from the world. It's full of greed, full of corruption, full of immorality. Those were those were dark years there. So here's the question that the true believers had to ask, those who loved Jesus Christ, who loved the Word of God, who wanted the church to be shining with righteousness and purity and holiness. True believers had to ask the question, what should we do? How can we advance the gospel? How can we? How does Jesus want us to live, given how corrupt things are? And they made a decision that was well-intended, but, but wasn't the best decision. What they decided to do was to separate entirely from the world. And they formed monasteries which were groups mostly of men, some, some, some of women, which had no interaction with the world at all as a way to, to, to avoid the, the, you know, the sinful effects of interactions with the world. They became totally separate. No connections with uh, people who didn't know Christ, no relationship with people who weren't trusting Jesus, just off, isolated all by themselves. And again, that was well-intended, but it, the problem with it is that it did not enable them to obey what Jesus tells us in our passage for today. To do that, they had to disobey these next verses. And let's look at what Jesus says. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Here's what he says. You, speaking to his followers, speaking to the church, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So two word pictures Jesus uses here to describe believers, to describe the church. Okay, You are salt, salt of the earth, and you are light, the light of of the world. So let's start with salt. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? What does that mean? Now, in that culture at that time, salt had two main functions, okay? One function was it gave flavor to food, like we would sprinkle salt on french fries today, Mm, that's good, okay, it gives flavor to food, that's one function, flavor. Another function that it had was preservative. No refrigerators back in those days, and so if you wanted to keep meat tasting fairly decent, you would just smother it with salt, okay, and it would keep, all right? So there's flavor, one function, there's preservative, another function. So the question is, which of those, or both, possibly, is Jesus focusing on here in, in this passage? And the way to answer a question like that is to look at the text to see, does Jesus give us clues here in the passage to help us understand how he wants us to view the fact that we are salt? Is, are we salt as flavor, or are we salt as preservative? Both could be true. Both, I think probably both are biblical. But which one, which one or both is he focusing on here? Let's read verse 13 again and see if you can see the clues that I saw. It's already clear up on the overhead anyway. All right, here, let's let's take a read. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, 
how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. So what's Jesus focusing on here? Flavor, taste, saltiness. Now again, it may be true that that, uh, the church is to be a preserving factor in society. I think that that probably is true. But because Jesus' focus here is on taste, it's the only thing he mentions. Nothing about preservative here. I'm going to focus on that because surely that's at least Jesus' main point. So when Jesus says we're the salt of the earth, he's thinking of, of us giving flavor. Giving flavor. So, so picture like this. Think of a baked potato. Okay? Baked potato. All by itself, without any salt on it, a baked potato tastes pretty bland. Okay, at least I think that they do. Okay, your baked potato, kind of bland, but you sprinkle some salt on it, and it's just amazing. Mmm, it's just, it's just much better, right? Saltiness, flavor, taste. Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. Here's what this means. If your neighborhood has no believers in it, if your workplace has no believers in it, then there's going to be no flavor, no mm, taste there. It's going to be bland. But sprinkle a few believers into your neighborhood. Sprinkle a few believers into your workplace, and the people around are like, mmm, there's something, something tastes better here. There's something going on here. We're, we're giving taste. So when we're sprinkled into your neighborhood, you move into your neighborhood, you're sprinkled in there, or when you take a job at a place, you're sprinkled into your workplace, What is it that people are supposed to taste? What do they taste? Look at verse 16. Jesus tells us what will be tasted. What does the world taste? Now in this verse, verse 16, Jesus is talking about us being the light of the world, but the point he brings out here is the same point about being salt. It's the same point. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see or taste your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when you're sprinkled into your neighborhood or you're sprinkled into your workplace, your follower of Jesus, what people will taste is your good works. They will see how much, I mean, you, you love people. You are honest. You work hard. You help other people with their projects. You babysit for neighbors when there's needs there. You'll, you'll take a neighbor a meal when they've had a surgery. Your good works, they'll, they'll taste those good works. Ooh, mmm. But now what, what is it that they taste in the good works? Did you catch that in verse 16? They will see, taste your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What they will taste in your good works is God is glorious because, like for example, he so fills your heart with his love that you're able to help a neighbor work on his car. Because you're filled with God and you're speaking of who Jesus is, you're speaking of the gospel, he's God must be amazing to so fill this guy's heart that he's willing to help me out. Or you're willing to... to you know, care for somebody at the workplace. Maybe somebody's going through surgery. You organize, let's sign up meals and, and care for this person. And so God's love is so filling your heart that, that you're serving them the good works. And in those good works, as they see God's love filling your heart, as they see God's presence satisfying your heart, as they see God giving you a, a heart that forgives, you're not gossiping, you're not rant, you know, ranting and raving about people, you're loving, you're honest, you're humble, you're gentle, you're forgiving, you're strong, you're faithful, you're responsible, and in your 
words you're talking about Jesus, they'll, they'll not just taste your good works, but they'll taste God is glorious. For God to be able to make this person live that way, God is awesome. So they'll taste your good works and they'll give glory to God. Here's an example. Uh, David and Kate niece. David's back there, okay? And Kate's over here because kids. Anyway, um, by the way, you guys get, get, to, get to know Kate, Dave and Kate and Nisa. They're part of membership class now, teaching. Kate teaches part-time at Valley Christian in English, and David teaches full-time at Valley Christian Bible for high school. But so if I get the story right, David, correct me if I'm wrong. So a little while ago, David was, was, was taking the kids on a walk around the block. Did I get that right? And, uh, and he was at the house right, right behind their house. And, and you met a couple back there, okay? All right, he's giving me the thumbs up. And, uh, and had a, he had a great connection with this couple that was back there, so great that then David and Kate invited this couple over for dinner. And so this last week, Monday night? Tuesday, Tuesday night. Okay, this last week, Tuesday night, they had this couple over for dinner. So Dave and Kate and their two kids and G, who's their exchange student. Hi, G. Okay. So they had this couple over for dinner, an older couple. And so just picture it. So here's this couple. And they're watching, first of all, Dave and Kate in their, in their marriage, which just shines with Jesus. Their love for each other, their honor of each other, their care for each other. And then watching how they parent, the care that's there, the love that's there, the, the affection that's there. They're, they're, they're just watching. Here they are, they're serving them food, just the bounty of the Lord, giving them food, serving this couple food. I mean, just the, the gospel conversation that's going on. So here's there's love, there's joy, there's unity, there's peace, there's the presence of God. All that's being tasted through this good work of having this couple over for dinner. And it may be that that was the first time that couple had ever tasted the salt that Jesus wants us to be. That may have been the first time they'd ever, hmm, there's something here that, ooh, this tastes good. You have felt that. Remember before you knew the Lord? Hmm, there's something good about, what, what, could I have some of that? You know, what is that? And that might have been the very first time that this couple tasted of God's glory being shown through the good works of David and Kate. Does that make sense? That's how it works. You are the salt of the earth. Okay? Now, the next thing that Jesus says is that we are the light of the world. What does that mean? Look at verses 14 through 16 again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Nobody does that. But you put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's the picture Jesus wants us to have. Your your neighborhood, if there's no believers living in your neighborhood, your neighborhood is a dark place. It's dark because believers are the light of the world. If your workplace has no believers in it, it's dark. It's pitch dark because believers are the light of the world. Okay, but but when a, a, na- a believing neighbor moves into your neighborhood, it's like it's flashlights there. Okay, there's a, a light goes on. Lights get turned on. Or when a believer takes a job at this place where previously there were no believers, lights go on. The lights go on. And so, what is the light that neighbors see? What is the light that the men or the women at this workplace will see? Okay, again, verse 16. Let's read it again. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light that they see when a believer moves into a neighborhood, when a believer takes a job at a place, the light that people see is God's glory shining through the good works. God's glory shining through the good works. Now, it's, good works includes both deeds and words. Okay, because let me just ask you this question. If you are a good person, an honest person, a loving person, a kind person, but you say nothing about Jesus, they won't see any of God's glory. They won't make that connection. Don't think you're a good person. There needs to be words also. Can I tell you about Jesus? Here's who Jesus Christ is. Here's, Here's how he's changed my heart. Here's how he satisfies me. Here's how he pours love into my heart. What I'm doing, it's only possible because of Jesus Christ. When you talk those kinds of words, it'll be crystal clear. The love that's coming from you was given to you by Jesus. The, the beauty of those good works is the beauty of God. The, the joy and the peace that radiates in you when you're in the midst of trials, it's God must be that glorious to be able to so strengthen you and so satisfy you in that trial. God must be glorious. Mm, that tastes good. So here's a, another quick example. The Garcias, who aren't here this morning, uh, they've been in their neighborhood for a number of years, and they've been salt, and they've been light there. Neighbors know that they love Jesus. Neighbors know that people who come over to their house often on Friday nights for home group or they worship together. They know they've got a lot of friends who love Jesus. But this last Sunday, the, the, the light was turned up in the neighbors in the Garcia's neighborhood. Here's what happened last Sunday. When they got up Sunday morning, their water heater uh, sprung a leak, Right? It sprung a leak, and water was pouring out of the water heater into their family room. This was a crisis, okay? This is a major crisis. And if I get the story right, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but uh, Joe could, wasn't able to get the water turned off. I mean, he tried everything you'd think. That they had some interesting combination of things there, so he wasn't able to get it done. So did he text you guys? Did he text Jerry? Or he texted Jerry, and so Jerry and Rick and Jason Madden. Is Jason? Where's Jason? Is that right? And Steve Darrow. And okay, it was, it was Rick and Steve Darrow. That's right. And Jason Madden. Yeah, okay. So you guys went over. And so you guys were able to help him get the water turned off. Okay? So, and that was like during the service here, right? So they left church. <laughs> they, they tore themselves away from my sermon. Okay? I mean, seriously. So they, they gave up this time here with brothers and sisters hearing God's word. And they went over there and they helped out Joe, given of their time. And then later... Jason, okay, helped Joe take out the old water heater, go buy a new water heater, put in a new water heater. Is that right? Is that okay? I hope you don't mind me, mind me sharing. This is too late now. Uh, <laughs> but so, do you, do you see, so neighbors are watching these guys coming. I mean, they're obviously hearing about the commotion over in the Garcia's house. And here, you know, here comes Rick, and here comes Steve Darrow, and then here comes Jason Madden helping out the Garcias. And so the Garcias have already sown lots of seed there, people know. And so they're, they're just seeing the light was turned up last Sunday at the Garcia's home as they're watching these men take their time, take their energy, take their effort, guys from the Garcia's home group, to, to help them get that water heater taken place. Does that make sense? And so light, like the rheostat, turned up a little bit last Sunday in the Garcia's neighborhood. Do you see how that works? So the light that neighbors will see, the light that your work associates will see, is God's glory shining through your good works. That's what Jesus is talking about here. 
And it's clear from the way that Jesus describes this, this is very important. You can't see this in the English, but in the Greek, in fact, do this in your Bible, underline the word you on the line, you are the salt of the earth, and the word you in the line, you are the light of the world, because there's a way to emphasize a word in the Greek, and that happens for both of those yous. Jesus is looking at his followers. And if you could just get get his heart here, he's saying, listen, you are the salt of the earth. There's no other. It's you. You are the light of the world. There's no other light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is not just some like side issue for followers of Jesus. Oh, that's right, that salt and light thing. We should do something about that. No, 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 no. This is who you are. You are this. This is what your mission is for the next centuries, is to be salt and light. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, why is that so important? Why would he put such emphasis on that? Why? The answer to that I found in verse 16. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you are salt in your neighborhood, when you're salt at your workplace, when you're light in your neighborhood, light at your workplace, God will work so that people, through seeing your good works, they will glorify God. They will glorify your Father who is in heaven. And when somebody glorifies our Father who is in heaven, what that is a description of is that they have just been saved from their sins, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom. They've received a new heart. They've been born again. God has given them faith and repentance. They've turned away from whatever else they were trusting, and now they're trusting God as he's revealed in Jesus through this this believer's good works. They've just become saved. That's what's happened. When, when somebody gives glory to their Father, to our Father who is in heaven, what that means is that they have been saved from their sins. So that's why. Do you feel then why this is so important? This is how God saves people in your neighborhood. This is how God saves people at your workplace. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's why you're in the neighborhood that you're in. That's why you're at the workplace that you're at. If your neighbors have no one being salt to them, they will not be saved. Romans 10 says the same thing. If your work associates have no one being light to them, they won't be saved. This is, this is huge. I, I don't think I could overstate how important this is. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We must be salt and light. And I noticed as I was reading this passage, Jesus says there's something that can go wrong with being salt and with being light. What can go wrong with the salt? Did you notice that in verse 13? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So what can go wrong with the salt? It can lose its saltiness. Okay? We can lose our taste. How does that happen? 
Oh, it can happen in dozens of different ways, right? I mean, think about times when, when your passion for Jesus Christ has waned. I mean, it could be like you're all of a sudden into muscle cars, right? Right? Or because you know you're you're you know you're you're angry at your boss, or because you're you know whatever, right? There's just dozens of different things that can happen that can cause our passion for Jesus to diminish, right? I mean, we've, we, we all fight that every day. I fight it every day. You fight it every day. But that's what can make our, our saltiness diminish. We, we no longer taste salty. So think about this. If you've lost your saltiness and you're sprinkled into your neighborhood, what's going to happen? Nothing. Tastes like the baked potato. Okay? You don't taste any different. All right? Not, nothing will happen. Nobody tastes anything different. And so, so ask yourself... Are you salt that's full of flavor? Or are you salt that has, has lost its flavor? Do people in your neighborhood, when they, when they get to know you and they hear you talk and they see you, hmm, or is it like, huh, another baked potato? Okay? People at your workplace, when they watch how you work, when they watch your, 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 your earnestness and your honesty and helping other people out, and are, are hmm, Good works. God's, God, God must be glorious. Look at this. This person's beautiful in how they live. Good, loving, kind, gracious, forgiving, responsible. So are you salt full of flavor or are you salt with no flavor? Think about you know, your talk. Is your talk full of grace and compassion and kindness or is it you know, like gossip and, and complaining and grumbling? Um, I mean, is, are your actions loving, or is it just is it self-centered in your neighborhood or, or at your workplace? And are your words about Jesus, or maybe does Jesus never come up in the conversation? Or you never bring him up? Saltiness, saltiness. Now, Jesus speaks pretty seriously about this losing its taste thing. Did you catch that? If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? implication is it can't be restored, right? That, that's, that's serious. I think he wants us to tremble a little bit here. I don't think somebody can be saved, be genuinely born again at one point in time, become salty at one point in time, and so lose their saltiness that they end up not saved. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But what Jesus is talking about here is it's, it's a warning so that we will not let our diminishing saltiness continue. Because it can reach a point beyond no return. There's good news, in other words, short of that point. And so how can we get our saltiness restored? I mean, if you're feeling like, man, I've not been very salty lately. Okay, you're not alone. Okay, we we all struggle with this at various times. Okay, so we're all here, all of us people who at times are less salty than other times, right? Anybody here who's perfectly salty all the time? Anybody here who tells the truth all the time, okay? All right, none of us are. So we're all, we're all working on this together. But so what can we do when we feel our saltiness diminishing? What can we do? Go back to the first two Beatitudes, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Go back there. Remember what the first one is? You all should know this by now because we talk about it every single Sunday. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, poor in spirit. You mean like those who are losing their salt? Yes, if you'll bring that before Jesus and say, here I am. I'm poor in spirit. I'm losing my saltiness. Here, I'm back. Forgive me. Help me. I look to you, Jesus Christ. You changed me at the beginning. I need you to change me again now. 
Would you come and supernaturally change this heart? Would you restore my saltiness? And if you will do that, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who come to Jesus knowing we have no righteousness of ourselves to bring, knowing we bring nothing of goodness to the table. We just bring need, need for forgiveness, need for heart change. He's the one who gives. We're the ones who are needy. And whenever we humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus and do that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom will start to go to work in us. We'll mourn over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. And I, 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 I promise you, based on God's word, if you will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, this is true for you, whether you've never set foot in a church before, whether you have, have had no interest in Jesus Christ before, or whether you've walked with him for years. If you will turn to Jesus Christ right now and, and say, I'm poor in spirit, I bring nothing of goodness to the table. I need forgiveness. I need heart change. I need what you promised to give to me. Help me. I trust you. Change me. Satisfy me. Fill me. He will. He will. He will. Oh, he will. He will meet you so powerfully. And love for Christ will rise up again in your hearts. Joy in knowing God will rise up. Trust in his promises. Peace. Hope. Love. Salty. You're back. Mm. Go out and get shaken again some more, okay? So that's what can go wrong with the salt, losing our taste, and that's how to make it right, regaining our taste. Some of you need to do that. I'm not speaking about anybody in particular that I know of, but just in gen- group this size, some of you need to do this. This is what God's saying to you right now by the Holy Spirit. He's telling you, you are losing your salt. I love you. Turn to Jesus. Admit that you're poor in spirit. I will meet you. Don't let time... Time won't take care of this. Deal with it. I will totally restore your saltiness. This is what God's speaking to some of you right now. Are you hearing? Are you listening to him? Okay. That's what can go wrong with the salt. Now, there's something that can go wrong with the light. What can go wrong with the light? Something different than with the salt. Verses 14 and 15. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So what can go wrong with the light? What can go wrong is that we hide it, right? We don't let it shine. Is that We don't let the light shine in our neighborhood. We don't reach out and connect with people. We don't talk to people about Jesus. What can go wrong with the light at the workplace is that we just, you just kind of hole up. Get, get your work, you know, you punch in, punch out, get your work done, and you're gone. And you don't shine with good works so that people can see God's glory. That, that, that's what can go wrong. Now, now, why would... You are the light of the world. Let's just be honest here. Why would we not let our light shine in our neighborhoods or in the workplaces? Is there anybody who doesn't struggle with that? Okay. I, I struggle with that too, and you do too. So why? What keeps us from letting our light shine in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces? Isn't it mostly... Fear of persecution, fear of, of, of ostracism or of you know rejection, fear of people you know making fun of us because we're followers of Jesus. That's my biggest problem. Is that yours? Isn't it? Okay, so so that's what Jesus is addressing here. There's a danger here. And so what can we do? What if you're you're thinking, okay, wow, that's me. I'm afraid. Um, I'm afraid of reaching out to neighbors. I'm afraid. And again, when we talk to people about Jesus, we want to do it humbly graciously, um, you know, winsomely, wisely, but we want to do it, okay? But still, what holds us back from that? And you're thinking, okay, it's fear. So, so what, what, what should you do? 
Jesus doesn't just want you to sit here and feel guilty. Okay, I'm, I'm really feeling guilty. I'm feeling it, Pastor. I'm, I'm feeling guilty. Wow, okay, this is a great message. I'm, I'm really feeling guilty, you know. Whew, good one, good one. No, that's, that's not the point, okay? Also, the point isn't, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try. I'm going to just do something. Just do it, you know. Just get out there and do something. That's not the point either. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus has just told us how to get rid of that fear. Verses 10 through 12, the previous paragraph. We talked about it last week. And what I would encourage you to do, do this for everything. Find a passage that deals with the area that you're struggling with and pray over that passage until the Holy Spirit changes your heart. You feel your heart changing. And in this case, you feel fear lifting. So start with verse 10. Here's what he says. This is the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So pray over the reality that the kingdom of heaven is yours. God's kingdom, the forgiveness of God's kingdom, the strength of God's kingdom, the comfort of God's kingdom, the heart-filling of God's kingdom, the love of God's kingdom, that you can know God as the king. He's your father through Jesus Christ through being forgiven through the cross. You have the kingdom of God. And when you feel the reality of having the kingdom of God, you will be so secure. You'll be fearless about persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pray over the reality of the kingdom until until you feel fearless. And then verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What moves you from fear to joy is understanding that your reward is great in heaven. So pray over that. Ponder the reward. Ponder what it'll mean to be welcomed into God's presence forever. No more tears. No more death. No more crying. No more pain. Feel what that'll be like to have him wipe every tear from your eyes, to join with the saints, all the redeemed, in worshiping the lamb that was slain forever. Seeing him face to face. Pray over that until you feel it. And so you're just you're so freed from the concern about what people think of you that you can just love and care and speak the gospel and reach out to them, build connections and be the light. Let your light shine. Is your light shining in your neighborhood? Or is it like, you know, a few little right? I mean, is it shining in your neighborhood? Is it is it shining in your workplace? Or is it like uh, beep, you know, hidden, okay? Is your light shining? Pray over verses 10 through 12. The fear will diminish. The boldness and love and joy will rise. And you will be the light that Jesus calls you to be. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. This week in your home groups, talk about this. Uh, Share where you're at. Salt, light. Pray for each other. Encourage each other. Um, What's Jesus calling you to do in your neighborhood? What's he calling you to do in your workplace? Talk, interact about that, pray for each other, and then and move out. And then as you do that, you will see neighbors and you'll see work associates as they see your good works, as they taste, as they see, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They will come to faith. 
Now, what, what are some questions this stirs up? Questions about the text, questions about how this looks, how you live this out. What are some questions? I may not be able to answer them, but somebody somebody here will be able to. Does this make sense? Am I in sync with the passage? And the most important thing isn't that it's not what Pastor Steve said. My words don't mean diddly squat. Okay, what's important is the, what, what Jesus was saying. His words count everything. Okay, so I hope you're seeing this from the text, from the passage itself. That's where the power is. Okay, last call. Going, 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 gone. Chuck. There's one other way I think people don't share or don't let that light out is then people are like, well, is he really living that way? So instead of letting the light out. Okay, so if I get you right, so because I'm aware that I've got, you know, I, I'm not perfect at the workplace, so I'm not going to say anything because then, like, they'd make the connection. Okay, so what's the answer to that? Because none of us are perfect in the workplace, right? What's the answer to that? How do we overcome that? That's that's really really good observation. Orion, how do we overcome that? Yes, yes. See, here's the beauty. Just Oh, just let this free you. This is wonderful. You can let your light shine by, by admitting to people that you, that you sin and by talking about what happens when you bring your sin to Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, I don't need to be perfect to be salt and light. You can't be, okay? You can shine when you've just blown up at a client on the phone, Okay? Don't do that. <laughs> say, Pastor Steve said that we should. No, 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 no. But, but if you do, you know, be, be, you know, mourn before the Lord for it. But, but you can, you can talk to people at work and say, you know, you, you heard what I said to that client yesterday, and, and that wasn't right. But you know what? I took this to the Lord Jesus last night, and He met me, forgave me, He's changing me. I'm not going to do it again by His grace. I'll never forget when I used to be in real estate. Um, I remember walking out of the office one day and Jim Baldwin, who some of you know, this is I think before he was he, he was with the Lord, or not with the Lord, before he, he was walking, he he'd come to the Lord. He said, How's your day? I said, I've had a lousy day. I need to go home and meet the, get, get some time with the Lord. And I walked out the door and uh, he was a little puzzled. But anyway, you can just be totally real. Be totally honest. Okay, so is that any other thoughts about how we can do that? Jerry. Oh, Steve, help us. We have a picture up on the screen of a salt shape. Yes. <laughs> to me, I see the salt shaker as us gathering together on Sundays and in home groups and hanging around with our Christian friends. Yeah. It seems that it's tempting to stay in the salt shaker because we're with a lot of salt. Yes. That's right. How do we find the balance of when do we get out wow. of the salt shaker and put ourselves out where we're needed instead of where it's comfortable? Great question. How do you find that balance? Let's hear from, from, the, from the community here. What, how, do you, how have you found that balance? Staying in the salt shaker or being sprinkled out? How do you, how do you figure that out? It's like we're all asking that question, Steve. Anybody have an answer to that one? Yes. Natasha. It's actually not an answer, but to put the other stream, I'm the opposite. Okay. I'm more comfortable. I don't really have any Christian friends. Okay. And I'm more comfortable surrounding myself outside the salt shaker with 
the challenge with that is that you get a little bit watered down sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So I need to come to church and I need to get yes. yes. in the Lord every day. Yes. But my challenge is not, like I don't really, and this is a generational thing too, I think, where I don't want to sound like a fanatic. So my prayer, and this is really, really good, is just like how do I grow in that boldness so that when I am outside the salt shaker, which I am every day, day in, day out. Yeah, you are. That's right. Um, that I that I can just combat that fear of like, well, she's a weirdo, you know, and and yes, yes, all the good deeds. That is not a problem. Yes. But I don't speak. Don't speak. Okay, that's key. Well, that's very wise. Good, good point. So probably what this is going to mean is, first of all, you'll never get an, an exact uh, equilibrium, perfect sync. You know, the, our, our lives oscillate. We'll go back and forth from one to the other. Also, some of you probably gravitate towards hanging out in the salt shaker too long, and you need to get out more. <laughs> Others of you tend to, you know, it's like you're, out out, you're outside of the salt shaker all the time. You need to get some more time back in the salt shaker. So which do you tend to be? Which, which you know, Natasha tends to be outside the salt shaker maybe too much? Okay, and and my my bent is being in the salt shaker too much. That's my own personal one. But so which is you, which is your strength or weakness? Share that with your home group this week. Interact about that together. Pray about that. Jerry, Andrew, go ahead, and then Maria. Okay, so I think uh, I think a lot of the some confusion lies is that uh, when when you initially encounter pastors like this, it looks like that Jesus is giving command, or it's not really a command; it's a scripture. Okay. Okay. And I think the real question is not whether there's an option to be insulted or The issue is whether you're faithful. Okay. Like in Acts 1, you are my witnesses, not be my witnesses. So um, I think that's part of you know, getting out of the social because you have to understand that salt in by itself is not useful. Yes, yes, yes. And when you're describing what Christians are already. Good. That's right. You are. This is, this is who you are as a believer. Good. Okay, and then Maria had a thought. Did you? Go ahead. Yeah, I tend to be outside. You tend to be outside. Okay. Throughout the week. Yes. So what I, I found, because I, I do still face fear and being bold, so before I even meet with a person, I open up in prayer and Yeah. So it's he will still work in you, but not as effectively because you're not um, intentional about it. So when you're praying about it, the intention is there. Yes. And the Holy Spirit just gives you that strength and power. Oh, that's good. Um, so pray. Excellent. These are some good suggestions. Well, let's go ahead and stand. I want to wrap this up. So here's my encouragement to you. Talk about this in your home groups this week. Pray over those the, verses 10 through 12. If, you're, if you're, it's a fear issue, pray over that. And then pray about, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask Jesus, what do you want me to do in my neighborhood? What do you, Lord Jesus, want me to do in my workplace? Ask him, what do you want me to do, Lord Jesus? And then take that step. He'll, he'll enable you. He will empower you. He will fill you. He'll work through you. You'll see it happen. And you'll be salt. You'll be light. So let's pray. Lord, I I ask for your power to be upon us here at Mercy Hill Church. Thank you for what you taught in the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to really see this is who we are. This is who you've called us to be. Salt. 
and light. Free us from fear. Make us more salty as we spend time before you in those first two Beatitudes. Make us more salty. Free us from fear. And then, Lord, let us let our light shine. Let our salt be tasted so the people would see our good works, deeds, and words, and that they'd be saved. They would see how real you are, how powerful you are, and that they would love you and trust Jesus and be born again. We plead with you to do that, Lord, for the glory of your name. Amen.